Hello and welcome to All Things Albion, the podcast dedicated to West Bromwich Albion. Please welcome my co-host. Last Christmas, he gave you his heart and the very next day you gave it away. This year, to save him from tears, he'll give it to Cedric Keepre. Keepre. How are you, Yeah, Steve? I already have, mate. <laughs> I already have. This season, he's earned my heart. He has. What a player. Um... Welcome everybody to the podcast. We're recording this on the 17th of December. We have got, as always, loads to talk about. Really big podcast this week. Um, we've got the Rotherham game. We've got Stoke game. We've got takeover stuff. We've got a little bit of transfers. Um, we've got everything. Injuries, the next game against Middlesbrough, contracts, wh- whatever you like. We're, uh, we're going to talk about it today. Have your says as well. We've had a really big response to that, so thank you very much, everybody. But as always, we're going to start with the football, start with the games. So we're going to review the Rotherham game first, and we're going to move on to Stoke, which we played earlier on today. So the Rotherham game, um, we won 2-0. Good performance, uh, goals from Dean Garner, and uh, a deflected goal from Dean Garner, and then Wallace finished it off towards the end of the game with quite a nice free kick. Um, starting lineup was Palmer, Furlong, Kipre, Bartley, Townsend, Yakushlu, Moat, Malumbi, Sarmiento, Dean Garner, and Brandon Thomas Asante. Initially, it was a bit rocky. Um, nice to see that Kipre had Hugel in his pocket the entire game, especially after Hugel's performance last season, where he scored those couple of goals and then rubbed it in our face. What's the score, Jordan? 2 0. Um, but yeah, on the whole, really impressed. Like I mentioned already, I thought Kipre was immense. Um, it was nice to get the win, especially after the last couple of results we had were a little bit disappointing against Leicester and Sunderland. So, yeah, nice to get back to winning ways. It was, to be fair. I mean, it was a... Mm, I don't really want to take issue with you about good performance. Um, I don't think it was a particularly good performance. I think it was gritty, sometimes brutal, sort of. They were, they were very, very... Um, well, they pressurised us hugely, didn't they? Um, and I, I think, to be fair, at, to some extent today, similarly, is that uh, we could have made the job a tad easier, probably, had we um, completed the passes that you'd expect us to pass, been able to control the ball in a way that you would expect us to in that game. And, and today's uh, in part, to be fair. Um, again, you know, it was... But against, against Rotherham... Um, we got the two goals. We got the second goal, um, and we got that from from Jed when he came on. He was uh, he was a breath of fresh air, wasn't he? Thank goodness his injury isn't as bad as perhaps we well I was worried because uh, we can't get away with any of our forwards um, without having injuries that are like for five months or something at the moment. Well, thank goodness is isn't like that because um, I mean I did allude to the fact that I wasn't sure exactly whether or not he was a suitable captain when compared to um, to people like Derek McInnes and what have you. But I've got to say, his influence on the pitch, um, I'm quite, a, quite happy to eat humble pie, to be honest. So his influence in the match, obviously, that we're talking about at the moment against Rotherham, was, was a, well, it was impacted, wasn't it? What a great goal it was. What a, you know, beautifully taken free kick. And, um, and today, well, today he was, for me, he was man of the match. Um, he was everywhere. He played on both wings. He played in the middle. He 
he did inspire the team to uh, to greater heights. Um, so I was impressed, and I'm quite happy to eat a ton of humble pie about it. Yeah, jumping ahead of my schedule. Sorry. So you should be. I always, <laughs> I, I always screw things up. To be fair, though, I mean, I think as far we'll as talk about the, the West Brom versus Stoke game. As far as Rotherham, <laughs> as far as Rotherham is concerned, we did the job, and that's what I like. That's what I like. When you're not playing brilliantly and you're playing against a team that are well, they're they're just poor, a poor team. Um, and, and to see Cedric just well, dominate, just just absolutely just dominate um, a centre forward in that way, particularly that one, um, was just refreshing. It was just like watching, without going on too much, but it was like watching the Hugel of old with West Brom. He gets past the ball, loses it, falls over, and then just shouts at the referee. And if you go back to our previous podcast when we were me and uh, John were doing it, I, I had the exact same complaint. So, yeah, it was like watching Hugel of a year or two ago. Yeah, yeah good left, result. Left eyebrow gymnastics all the time as well. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, maybe efficient... Performance is the better phrase then than, than good. Maybe yeah, let's go for a, that. An efficient performance from the team. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the Stoke game, which you've already alluded to. One-one, um, Gooch with a fluky goal. Well, I think it was a fluky goal. I'm sure Stoke fans will say that it was pinpoint precision, but for me, it just looked like it was a cross that ended up in the back of the net, hit the bar, bounced down over Palmer. I saw some complaints of Palmer's positioning. Well, I don't know. I, I think he's expecting the cross. I don't think he was a million miles off his line personally. I saw some criticism of Connor Townsend letting the goal, like letting the the ball, uh, you know, let him in cross. Once again, I don't know. It was it's fine margins. So maybe uh, we're going to talk a bit, a little bit more about Connor Townsend and Donna Furlong, our fullbacks, in a minute. Um, BTA managed to equalise and then we sort of knocked on the door a lot but uh, unfortunately couldn't get the second goal to claim the victory. So we're a little bit disappointing. We had a lot of chances, especially towards the end. Uh, BTA sort of flicked the ball into the goalkeeper. It wasn't really a save as such. It just hit him. So you could say the goalkeeper had good positioning. I was quite disappointed with P- Pippa's effort. The ball sort of, he sort of hit it on the half volley, kept it down, but it was a nice height for the goalkeeper and straight at him. And also, Pippa had a, a header, which was a bit weak. So it was a shame, really, because there were the chances there to win the game. And it then points back to our striker situation, um, which we will talk about later on in the podcast. We're going to talk about transfers and, and injuries and things like that. So, yeah, on the whole, I would probably say a frustrating game and a, a frustrating day for us. Well, it was frustrating. Uh, it, you that you could actually use one if you if you used one word to describe that game, I'd say that frustration. To be honest with you, um, I, there, there were a, there were a few a few disappointing performances. I didn't think that we were snappy today at all. We were playing another team on a poor run. Um, no wins, I think, in eight. Um, and or oh, that's including today, I think. And just set um, the manager as well, didn't they? Yeah, they set the manager. They've uh, they'd lost the previous four as well, I think. And uh, I, you know, it was in our, our hands. It was Fortress Hawthorns, and uh, and we got it in our hands to go out there and dominate from the off and be snappy, move the ball quickly. 
off the ball movement, really quick and and uh, incisive, if you like. And it wasn't there. It was really odd. I thought it was sort of a little bit lethargic at times. I'm not saying I'm not saying in the end, at the end of ninety minutes, that well, there wasn't anybody who came off the pitch like with clean shorts or not have steam coming off his head. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that where we needed to move the ball quickly, we didn't. And we saw it a few times where, like, um, I saw Townsend a couple of times taking throw-ins. I didn't know where to throw it. Nobody was moving off the ball. Um, I saw Cedric uh, with the ball at his feet at one point. Um, and in the first half, he didn't know what to do with it. It's like he was there. He was thinking He was thinking to himself, well, hang on, what do I do with this? Nobody was moving. It's... And I understand Stoke were playing like Pulis ball. Um, but of course, you know, we've been guilty of that in the past. I'm not blagging them for saying such, for, for playing in that way. That's a tactic like any other. Um, and the situation that they're in, they just don't want to concede goals. Um, so anyway, they nearly didn't. I mean, let's be honest, the goal that was scored, which was beautifully taken by uh, BTA, um, without that, I'm struggling to see where else we could have really scored. It was, mm. I thought it was really, we didn't make enough of our possession in the final third. I didn't think, I didn't think our wingers uh, were particularly penetrative at all. I think it was Wallace who was, if anybody was. Uh, I was really disappointed with Jeremy uh, Sarmiento. I, I thought he, um, he sort of fluttered about and, and sort of busied himself sort of like slightly to the left-hand side and get got to the corner of the penalty area a few times without troubling anybody, really. If somebody is, got, is a dribbler, somebody who uh, purports to be a dribbler, if you like, which Sarmiento does, he, he's always stepping over, he's always dragging the ball back, he's very showy in what he does. But if you're going to do that, where are you going to make the most impact? To, yeah. to dribble you, in the box, because that's where you're going to draw tackles, which can result in penalties. That's where you're going to wrong foot defenders, where you can side foot the ball in the bottom corner or put your laces through it. You know, it's in there. That, that's where... So if you're going to dribble and it's not just to beat the right back and cross it, then you should be dribbling in the penalty area, which is where you're going to make the most impact. And I don't think, to be honest with you, you did either of those things very well today at all. Yeah, I think for me... Dean Garner and Sarmiento. I don't just pick on like Sarmiento. I think Dean Garner is a little bit disappointing as well. You look to those players for the, that sort of creativity when you're playing against these teams which are playing these sort of, sort of tactics. You said Beauty's ball. You know, they're playing this sort of more defensive, solid. You're looking to players like that to unlock teams like Pereira used to a few years ago. And unfortunately, today it just didn't happen. Um, that's something because something I noticed as well. Not only not driving into the box, but beating that first man didn't seem to happen. They got the ball, and they'd run at them, but they'd usually end up losing it. And it was just it was a bit frustrating, and it just wasn't our day. I want to go to have your say. Uh, there's been loads of have your says this week. Thank you everybody for the comments. It's really appreciated. Um, and obviously, it's good for us to have your opinion to talk about. So, first, I'm going to go to Twitter. Uh, Project Football Podcast, thank you for your comment. They said, Stoke Keeper made four great saves. 
to keep them in the game, feel we need to explore alternative options at fullback both sides, and we're in desperate need of a striker who can stay fit. And then they put in brackets as well as BTA. Uh, Jack Evans said, "How long do we persist with Connor Chaos and Dopey Dance?" And uh, Matt uh, said, "Was like the big bad wolf trying to blow down the last house, all huff and puff, but no joy in the end." Um, that's the have your says in terms of the game so i'm going to mix things in a little bit with the injuries but are we missing a a dk who can get us that goal you know whether it be in the air or whether it be you know players playing off him are we missing that type of strong striker i mean i don't want to pick on bta because i feel like he's suffering a little bit because he's the only fit striker he is what we've got. And if we had other fit strikers, I'm not saying that, you know, they're obviously it's not their fault they're injured. But if we had other fit strikers, he probably wouldn't be playing as much. And the onus wouldn't be on him as much. His control is really poor. His hold up play is really poor because he, he does he can't control the ball properly. If you notice, whenever the ball comes to him, it usually bounces off him. And that that's because he struggles. It seems like his strength is running onto the ball. Yeah, he, he desperately uh, needs to be one of two, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. It's like, you, you know, how he used to sort of play Fortune up front and then I'd wing you off him. It's like BTA wants to really be, in my opinion, his strength is that off the main striker. But yeah. because we are what we are, we haven't got that main striker. Are we missing a DK or someone like that to play that sort of number nine role and, and give us those goals and those chances that someone like that would create? Well, not necessarily. Um, I mean, when, it depends on what you mean by the number nine role. If you mean the big centre forward that's a rough, rough and tumble and bustling uh, one, like uh, well, like Fortune was, um, and and like a, a, you know a number of our uh, of our yeah, Kevin Campbell, Jeff Horsfield, that sort of striker. Uh, absolutely. Um, well, if that's who you mean, then obviously he's never going to do that. He's 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 never going to do that. He, it's very unusual for him to actually make headers. Um, I know, I know he has done, and I know you know there are occasions when he's he's got his head to the ball, but he's he's, he's an unreliable header of the ball, and yeah, and as you say, I can't really argue with anything that you said there, Mike, uh, with regards to his ball control and hold up play. I, I can't. What I will say is, ten out of ten for being fit. Yeah. Ten out and of ten. And he works his socks off as well. Ten out of ten for his attitude, uh, and ten out of ten for. Well, I don't know, for, for always working hard to, uh, to improve, you know, he stays fit. I mean, everybody around him, they've been falling like nine pins, haven't they? Um, and, they're, and, and it's not just injuries for a month. We're talking about injuries now for half a year nearly. So, and in one particular prominent case, well over that really, when you, when you bring all these injuries together. So, you know, okay. Um, kudos to uh, to BTA for that. Um, so, but I don't even think if we did have that number nine, that that BTA would be on the pitch anyway, because I don't think Carlos actually plays with two up front. I mean, I know at the moment he can't, but even if he did, would he? I don't know. I mean, the bloke. Is a tactician par excellence, and for me, it looks to me like he, he likes to play with one up front. 
Um, and of course, anybody can argue with me that, yeah, the only reason he likes that is because it's all he's got. But no, I'm not I'm not convinced. It'd be interesting to see when we have got some fit available strikers, whether or not he goes with tilt front, you know, uh, a, a centre forward and, a, and an off player. Uh, we'll see. What, but, what I mean is, so I, I agree with you, I don't think Carlos would go with two. But we've, you know, we've established BTA strengths and I think we've probably established our opinion on his weaknesses would having that different type of striker then he would be one up front i think so let's say dk would having a dk up front solve some of the problems i feel like like it's, we're almost repeating ourselves a little bit because when me and john were doing the podcast at the start it was we need a striker we need a striker hope we're going to sign daryl dk we signed daryl dk and then it's he gets injured and it's well we need daryl dk back and it seems to be a running narrative through a good ch- chunk of this podcast, <laughs> really. Yeah. And I feel like it's the same thing again now. But are we missing that yeah, type of striker who would hold the ball up probably a bit better and would get more... You know, because for me, I, I, like I said, I think BTA is like a winger slash striker, but I think of DK is a, a number nine. And I just, I think, I'm looking at the games, you know, when we're getting lots of corners, we're getting lots of crosses. I'm not saying DK is the greatest striker that's ever lived, but I'm just saying I think someone like him would would get more success, especially being up there up, up front on their own. I agree. We we look we 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 lack another striker. Yeah, you know, full stop. But you're right. I mean, you want an option. We should have. <laughs> Let's face it. With with the squad that we've got, and you know, this expensive squad that's costing too much that we keep being told about. Oh, that we've got to reduce the wage bill and all of that. Well, when you look at that squad. There are a number of players who fulfil that criteria um, of, of striker. We haven't got any of them. Yeah. You know, he, he, I don't know, even Swift now, you know, he's, he's had a, a bit of a relapse or something. So he's, he's out, of the, out of the team. I, it's, I, I lament the fact that we just cannot keep strikers on the pitch, uh, apart from BTA, bless him. Mm. And if we hadn't got him, well, I don't know, I don't know where we'd be, really. Well, we'd, we'd have to be playing... Um, Wallace is a false nine, I suppose, and he's been injured. So, you know, that's the that's where we are, I think. So, yeah, I'd love I'd love BTA to to be able to play to his strengths. I just I do wonder whether it's ever going to be possible for for us to see. To be honest, yeah. Um, and there was a bit of um, negativity, I suppose, around Connor Townsend and and Darnell Furlong, our fullbacks. I mean, they were mentioned twice in the have your says. What's your thoughts on them? Um, I mean, going for, to me personally, I've always been a little bit disappointed with Connor Townsend. I know he does good things. He's a decent cross for the ball most of the time. Um, but I've always had that little bit of disappointment with him in terms of, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of concentration. Maybe it's a little bit of um, like positional play. But I don't know. I've always It's always been a position we've talked about. I remember... Um, in previous podcasts talking about, well, we need, he needs that person to challenge him. He needs that sort of, you know, person who's going to possibly take his place. And you hope that someone like Pippa was going to come in and do that. Um, in terms of Darnell Furlong, I thought he'd played quite well recently. I know he was maybe a little bit disappointing today, but I thought his forward runs were decent. I'd never thought, oh, that was definitely Darnell Furlong's fault when we've conceded. But I don't know, what, what do you think about the two fullbacks we've got currently? Well... Certainly in the first half, I remember thinking Darnell's making some good some good forward runs here. 
Um, but, you know, nothing particularly uh, strikes me as as being fruitful from from it. And But, I don't know, Darnell's useful not only as, as a fullback, but also his, his long throws. If he's not on the pitch, we'd miss Darnell. Um, and I think probably that, that's true of, of Connor as well, unless you've got somebody better to come in, which I don't think we have, to be honest with you. Um, but he, he's been at fault. He's, he's had a couple of uh, problems, hasn't he, in the last few games, uh, Connor? As I mean, you know the the uh, the, South, the Southampton winner, um, just not marking their leading scorer, uh, yeah. and I've mentioned it before. Uh, and you know that and, terrible uh, touch against um, Sunderland as well. Yeah, you know this. We fall down. I think the things that I notice most is it when we fall down isn't when we try to do something sort of like brilliant and, and it just don't come off. What I don't like to see is people fail at the basics, you know, and I think we've still got that going on in, in the team, on the pitch. Um, we've still got, you know, failure to control the ball. The, some of the passing um, today, I just thought, oh, you know, not good enough, not good enough. Do you we, think it's like we, a lack of concentration? But it's, it's, a, it's a lack of quality because mm. what you've got is several different facets to a player's skill set constitute his his quality and you know if the concentration isn't there or the decision making isn't there or the technical ability isn't there uh, you know or the execution of a pass or, or a, a shot on, to, on on goal isn't there then that detracts from their overall quality doesn't it so i think probably um there, there was a there was a fair bit lacking today in the basic qualities that you expect of professional footballers at championship level, uh, and it put us in a situation where we were struggling to dominate. I mean, there was a there was a time, a good time in the second half where they were the better side. Stoke today, uh, they put us under a, a deal of pressure in the second half. Uh, they had a, a, a bit, about four four corners at one stage, I think it was three or four corners at one stage in that second half, and I thought to myself, "Well, hang on a minute." You know, we're we're sixth at the time. I think we were sixth, and um, and a win is going to put us sort of five points clear of seventh place, uh, push us up to fifth, and they are sort of hovering above the relegation zone. Basically, I'm thinking, well, they're dominating us. They are the better team here. Um, so I was, you know, however. We recovered ourselves, and largely we, we were the better side throughout the game. You know, if you look at every particular aspect or every particular quarter of a game, then largely we were the better side. But we just we just couldn't get that second goal, and and probably we're sitting here now. If we got the second goal, um, perhaps some of these these criticisms that we're coming out with now, uh, we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have been quite so uh, so intense about them. Yeah, you know, perhaps we'd have forgiven. It, if we'd got the second goal, but we didn't, so you know, hate yeah. them. I think you're right. I think it. There's different facets to it. Obviously, the the quality, the concentration. I think our injuries list, which is ever growing, is catched up with us a little bit. Um, and obviously, we played three games in a week, haven't we? Or nearly a week, I think. Was it three games in eight days. Um, so it is quite the guys are coming quite thick and fast at the moment. So in terms of our position, we are now fifth. On 36 points, currently tied in, uh, oh, sorry, on the same points with Hull, 
And I just saw as well, actually, today, Liam Rossini has just signed a three-year contract at Hull. Big fan of his. Yeah, said already, if, um, if Triple C wasn't a manager, I'd want him. Um, and also, actually, just while I'm sort of on the other team thing, I saw that Watford beat Preston 5-1, um, which is crazy, really. I mean, Preston have, have dropped like a rock in the last few months. I mean, they were top of the league, weren't they, at one point, or really high up in the league, and now they're down to eighth and, uh, and really struggling. And obviously, Val at Watford seem to be going the other way. They seem to be firing up the league. Well, as far as Preston are concerned, we showed them what it is. Uh, we, we reminded of them of their humanity, didn't we, really? When yeah, we I think started. we also give the blueprint how to beat them, I think, didn't we? Well, I think, you know, people watch, don't they? People look to see what we did there. Um, and perhaps they uh, they, take, they took some tips from it. I don't know. But what, what for a, are a decent side? I mean, they, you know, they've only just basically come down, didn't they, really? So uh, not long ago. So they're a decent side. And, uh, and, and I, I think, I don't know. I think they'll be there or thereabouts uh, at the end of the uh, you know at the end of the season when in you know thinking top six. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And there's something I read as well a little while ago is that Jake Livermore is he's playing really well there apparently. So there you go, good for Jake. Um, yeah. So anyway, back to Triple C and his reaction to the Stoke draw. So he's talking to WBA.co.uk, and he said. In football, I always think the results are the consequences of the performance. So for me today, if there were a, was one team who perhaps deserved to win, then it would have been us. But at the same time, when we don't achieve the result we wanted to achieve, it's difficult to say it's, it's because we didn't do enough. We didn't use the advantages that we had well enough and we should have created more chances to score the second goal, which would have earned us the win. We were the better team, but at the same time, we need to analyse why we didn't win that game. In one game, when you are creating opportunities and the goalkeeper is making the saves, the only thing you can do is to keep on going and insist on doing the things you are doing well. We needed to find a way to arrive into the last third of the pitch and create chances. I think we should have put more balls in the box more times. The important thing in football is to win the football matches. If you win after scoring the first goal, then fantastic. If you win it after conceding one goal, then great also. You need to make sure... You are ready to face every type of situation in football. I think their early goals certainly surprised us and created some level of anxiety. In football, you can never lose control of the game. It was important to keep control of the game and create the chances. The overall feeling I have from today is that we could have created more chances to score the second goal. Couldn't agree more. And like I said already, you know, we're still well cemented in the playoffs. So um, today was frustrating, but. I think we're still having a good season so far and fingers crossed it continues. We are having a good season, uh, bearing in mind the, the circumstances of the club, which I'm not going to go into now because I know we're coming up in a bit. Um, I think sometimes, and you don't remember what I was talking about, the quality of the players. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th I think one of the things that I mentioned in that little list was decision-making. And I think sometimes what, what uh, Carlos... Um, uh, is trying to achieve is a, a, a slick passing football team that passes and passes and passes and pulls teams out of shape and then takes advantage of their uh, not being where they should be. Uh, and and what you're doing is he's trying to educate players, championship standard players, um, 
in the in the art of when to pass the ball forwards, when to take a, somebody on, a defender on or a midfielder on, uh, when to carry the ball, when to pass it back to m maintain possession. So there must be huge amounts of input into that during training because when you see the get the team play now they weren't playing like that under previous managers so he's got them playing in a pretty intense way sort of like almost barcelona-esque if you like that's the sort of tactics that he's trying to get instill Sp very spanish um now if you're doing that with players like we've got then for them to really produce the sort of game where they beat Preston North End 4-0, um, they've got to be right on the top and they've got to be making the right decisions. They've got to be making the correct decision to pass the ball forward or pass the ball sideways or pass the ball backwards at the appropriate time. Well, the snag with us is sometimes, and I, and I saw this a few times today, and I think that sometimes the, the, the stadium, the fans, the home fans, our fans, we get a bit irked by the ball coming back. And then you get the commentator saying, oh, they're getting irked because the ball's coming back. No, I don't think that's the case. I think the, certainly the intelligent supporters, which the vast majority of us are, think that was the wrong decision. That ball coming back then was the wrong decision for that set of circumstances. You, if you'd have been bolder, you could have gone forward and you, know, and, and you could either take a player on and beat them or you could pass the ball forward or even sort of like diagonally and make progress up the pitch but sometimes and I, I don't know whether it's a lack of courage or whether it's a lack of technique or just poor decision making sometimes the ball comes back and 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 it's the wrong it's not really the right move it's not a positive move in the in those given set of circumstances and that's what gets up the supporters noses that's why they moan it's not just because the ball's playing back and commentators don't know what they're their arse from their elbow half the time. They, they're commenting on what supporters think and they forgot what it is to be supporters, them people. But we know what it is to be supporters and we know why we support a football club and we know when somebody's doing the right thing and when they perhaps could have done something better. And and I, and I think that's just what what's happening there. Not We're not booing our team because they've done something wrong or we're not moaning or groaning because they've that we think they're they're bad players. What we are is we're probably groaning at the fact that oh we could have done something so much better with that ball then. Absolutely. Um, so let's wrap a bow on the football and let's go to off-field stuff. And the first thing I want to talk about is takeover news. Um, on the Have Your Says, Marcus Phillips, when I asked, you know, what would you like us to discuss, subjects, thoughts, um, said takeover news. And on Twitter. Uh, Luke Sylvester, thank you for your comment. He said takeover as well. So um, I know I want to talk about the takeover. There's been a lot of reports. There's been a lot of rumours. There's been a lot of conflicting articles. You know, a lot of things have been happening and swirling around this takeover ever since it was revealed that things were possibly moving closer. Uh, we've obviously given our opinions on different aspects of it in the past um action for Albin's response to it ali jones obviously came on in, and gave his side of things so it's it's been something that's been rumbling on for quite a few weeks now and what i want to do is have a look at everything you know these articles these reports these rumors and just try and 
make sense of it all because I think at the moment as a fan it's quite a confusing time because we got one minute it's exclusivity is about to be granted and then on the other side it's oh they've spoken to the football staff and all this stuff's going on so let's try and make sense of it all so first thing I want to talk about is John Percy's article in the Telegraph he put a tweet out a few days ago now um, and he basically said West Brom are edging closer to take over with majority shareholder Goachin Lai set to grant exclusivity to the preferred bidder very soon. Three groups are on the shortlist and awaiting the green light to proceed. This has to happen. Hashtag WBA. Now, in his article, a uh, quote from it is Lai, the Chinese entrepreneur and the club's controlling shareholder, is under heavy pressure to sell up and is expected to grant exclusivity to the best option within the next 10 days. Um, West Brom are available for around 30 million plus the various debts and loans owed, which will take the overall price close to 60 million. Now, that was articles released on the 12th of December. So he said uh, within the next 10 days, we are current, like I said, we're recording this on the 17th. So about five days since. So we've got five days to go ish. And then the Express and Star released an article. Uh, and in it, one of the quotes is, it is understood the US group, views as the serious contenders, have advanced in talks and communicate with Albion's football staff about ways to move the club forward on and off the field and are willing to invest with ambitious targets. Albion are on the market for a value of around 30 to 35 million, including debts, which takes the figure to 60 million. So it seems like it's 30 million plus the debts, 60 million is... You know, both articles match up with that. The thing that I get confused about, and I said this on Twitter and Facebook, if you want to follow me on Twitter at MikeyWBFC and on Facebook, we're at All Things Albion, little plug there, um, is what, so what I can't understand is we're about to grant exclusivity to one of these parties. The rumour or what I'm, I'm seeing around social media is it seems to be the American consortium is the front runners, and obviously it's confirmed in the Express and Star article. But then the, on the Express and Star article, they talk about that the potential owners have spoken to the football staff about ways to move the club forward, and they're even talked about they're willing to invest in ambitious targets. And for me, and my question at the time was, well, can they do that? Can they, well, you know, are they not allowed, but have they been granted access to the football staff to talk about what their plans are for the team? How does it work? Um, so does that indicate that things are actually further along than we are led to believe? I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying this is my opinion and this is how I'm viewing this and my own thoughts. Is things further along than we think? Because... Like you mentioned in the last podcast, he's talking about replacing Phillips in January, even though we're taking out loans to fund the club. So, and and there's you know there was this rumor of a fire sale a few weeks ago, and then we've got this about the owners talking about ambitious targets in January. It is hard to follow at the moment, isn't it? It does seem like we're being told one thing, but then on the other side, things may be further along than we think. You, I think that the. Uh... The info, information sort of uh, media, certainly the printed uh, one, is under intense pressure uh, uh, because, let's face it, um, 
you know, the, our local journalists, Express and Star and uh, Birmingham Mail, are they're, they're, they're pretty exposed to uh, to our um, angst, aren't they? You know, I mean, they're on Twitter, and we you see, I see lots of uh, lots of uh, Twitter sort of uh, traffic going towards Lewis uh, Cox and uh, and Johnny Drury, and 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 I and I see these this traffic, and they must be under intense pressure to try and to try and tell us something when. They they either don't know or they're in a position where they can't divulge it directly. Um, it might be a bit it might be a bit uh, unpleasant for whoever it is uh, who's divulged it to those local local journalists if they if indeed that has happened um, because it, you know it, there's supposed to be an NDA in place um, so non disclosure uh, agreement means non-disclosure so if they actually divulge something it means that they've got concrete information from somewhere uh, and that won't please any prospective new buyers so if it was me in my opinion if if if, if i was in their position uh, the journalist i'm talking about i would be thinking to myself how can i try how, how can i try and reach these baggies fans and give them some information that's going to calm them down a bit but without breaching an NDA, or, or or without revealing the fact that I know something concrete, which would mean that the NDA had been breached. Do you know what I mean? So it's a complicated yeah. position. But what the thing that I've been noticed, and I've mentioned them in the podcast that we've done up to yet, but I'm seeing things um, which indicate to me that things are moving in the right direction as far as this takeover is concerned. Um, and I'm not hearing much or I'm not reading much um, that would indicate that it's it's fallen apart. It's not happening. Um, but the one thing that you mentioned an article, I think it was in the Express and Star, um, which said um, that they're, they're willing to sort of... Uh, Invest in ambitious target with ambitious targets. Invest with ambitious targets, but in that same article, we're told that we've got to reduce the wage bill. It's vitally important that we've got to reduce the wage bill at some stage. It's like the same article is saying two things, and although that's perfectly acceptable, you can say two different things in the same article. Um, it, it that's why we're confused. So, bearing that all in mind. I believe that the takeover is going to be by an American consortium. Um, I think it is further along than we are led to believe. Um, but as always, and I've said this before as well, is that I'm frustrated because the people who always find out last what's going on is the people who have got the most emotional connection to the club and the ones who spend the most money in support of the club and and to, to actually get through the gates. That's where I am at the minute. Um, there's a lot of edging going on by the sound of it, edging closer. So, so there's a, what's all this edging? You know, let's, let's, let's take a, let's take a joint step forward and deal with it before Christmas. Let's, let's all yeah. have this for Christmas. Just my opinion. Um, and what I've sort of, you know, read on Twitter and stuff like that, I, I get the impression there's an underlying confidence that everything's going to be fine. 
um, you know, that we will get a new owner and things will be more positive. What Carlos Corbrenner said about transfers, these articles, like I said, stuff I've seen on Twitter, I just get the impression that things are moving along and things are positive. And um, I suppose the only thing we can do right now is just be patient. Be patient in the fact that things will improve and uh, and hopefully they do because i feel like as a club and a fan base we are all just waiting to see what happens everything is is sort of like hinged on this um this takeover i mean you look at the contract situation keypray mowit fellows Bartley, I know that people will probably, in my opinion anyway, I wouldn't give Bartley a new contract, but Kipre, Moa and Fellows are three players that I would imagine we want to retain ASAP. And it feels like that's waiting on the takeover. This loan that Ali Jones told us that we had about 12 weeks to get the takeover done within, because that's how much that money would buy us, that's how much time that money would buy us. It's something else that's. Um, you know, he, it's all hinged upon this takeover. And, I mean, we're going to talk about January transfers in a minute. But that is dependent on this takeover happening. Because if it doesn't happen, then, well, <laughs> we're looking at maybe a loan, if we're lucky. Whereas if it does happen, I know that our wage bill is, is quite astronomical and needs to be reduced. But the if you look at the article, ambitious targets. Maybe we could spend a bit of money. Maybe we could do something exciting. And so I feel at the moment there's such pressure on the situation because we know it determines our future as a football club. So let's look towards January. Some of the have your says we had. Um, Greg Peer Parsons, thank you for your comment. He said possible transfers in January. Good goal from Asante, but dot, 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 dot. Um, we've already talked about BTA um in terms of you know uh, sort of it's it's unfortunate for him he's our only fit striker so i think the focus for me i've said this already would be a striker in january and this is very dependent on the takeover so i'm looking at the club as it is right now not no money and and no sort of you know real money to spend in january um so what do you do i know what i'd do dk um he's apparently stepped up his rehabilitation he's um he's returned to doing non-contact drills so he's running i believe clear he's injured now um he's going to be out for at least four months with a hamstring injury yeah he's still the other hamstring phillips and madger are both looking at four or five months out so attacking wise we've got nobody um really except for bta and wallace and you know swift has has had a uh like you said earlier a little bit of a relapse with his injury as well so we're really struggling for attacking options so the two sort of things i saw on social media was mo fal who's currently at doncaster um would you recall him if possible in january he's been doing well in there um and there's been positive talk of him and then the other one I heard about, and I don't think or don't know if he's a good option, is Billy Sharp. Uh, played for Sheffield United Sheffield. last season. Forever. Yeah, played for Sheffield United for the most of his career. Um, left. He played for LA Galaxy this season. 
hit the last, I think their season finished on the 10th of November, the early November. Uh, and he played for them, scored six goals in 12 games. Um, and is he an option? I mean, I did a bit of research because I saw it on Twitter. Someone mentioned Billy Sharp. Um, he is 37. But considering our financial situation, is he an option? Uh, I mean, personally, I'd say no. But we are quite desperate for attacking players at the moment. Could he come and do a job? So Billy Sharp is what I'm not endorsing Billy Sharp, by the way, because I'm sure some people are probably thinking, what? As the... But is Billy Sharp an option? Or is Mo Fall an option? Or do you, th- what, what you said, what would you do? What, what would you do? Right, well, let's imagine that I'm I'm the American consortium, okay? And and I've just put me money where me gob is, and I've bought the club. And I see this, the, the, well, they know. I've done my due diligence, and I can see what's in front of me. I can see what's in front of everybody. The first thing I'm going to do is secure the services of our best players. Yeah. That's the first thing I'm going to do. And for me, we know who they are. I ain't got to iterate every single one of them. We know who our best players are. We went through them, didn't we, a couple of... We've got a lot of them. We've got a bloody team's worth uh, who've been allowed to get to the point where they're out of contract all at the end of one season, which is, let's face it, crap management and administration of contracts. How have we let let Fellows' contract get to this again? How is it, sorry to interrupt you, but how is it every time a player... Breaks into the first team. They're always in the last year of the contract. Well, Nathan Ferguson, Fellows. We do it all the sodding time. Anyway, sorry. Because we only ever give them two-year contracts. Yeah. Now, you know, and the good business sense of that is arguable, you know, because let's face it, we end up releasing um, our academy products more often than not, don't we? Or, 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 or they get poached. Um, and then, and uh, or, or we, they actually break into the first team squad, and then they get loaned out with a with a, a view to buying. But what I look, what I'm looking at is, and for you mentioned fellows particularly, and you're right too. But I'm looking at, at, at Kipre, uh, and yeah, you know the player of probably well we're edging towards edging. No, I ain't going to say that. We are moving towards a situation <laughs> where probably our player of the season has been allowed to get to a point where he's out of contract, having been on loan the previous season, loaned out, and you just think, what? It's a shambles, an utter shambles. The club's being run in a shambolic way. Yeah. So they've got. So any new consortium has got to come in and do a lot of consolidation. They've got to get decent people in, and they've got to... The people who have been making decisions or, or have been unable to make decisions because board, people at boardroom level have been refusing to let them, I don't know what it is, but they've got to change that culture within our club so that we get back to something like when Dan Ashworth was, uh, was our real leader, because um, peace never was, in my view. Um, it, it was Dan Ashworth turned us into a top uh, a top eight, or a, a, well certainly a top eight and or a top top half table uh, in the Premier League club. So we need to get the, the whole ethos right now to move on to strikers. I, I'm Billy Sharp. I mean, bless him, 37 years old. Yeah, you know. No, Fall on the other hand is our player, and he's out mm. there doing it for somebody else at the moment. Well, in the situation that we're in, under normal circumstances, I'd say, no, leave Mo out there 
to, to learn and to do his job. But we are down to one striker. And we are probably down to one striker for more months to come. We can't keep relying on BTA. He's human. You know, he's got human muscles and human joints. And the kid is going to break down eventually because he's, he's in there like every, every game. And he's, he's doing his best under very difficult circumstances. So I would bring Fowl back and I would try my best to give him minutes in the team to improve with us rather than benefit somebody else because of the crisis situation we yet again find ourselves in. But Billy Sharp, no, because for a start, he'd come back from American football, would not fit. And we'd be in a position where he'd be a month, six weeks before he was match fit or before he was fit enough to put in the team. So, you know, we wouldn't gain anything, really. He'd be His first month's money would go while he was uh, in the gym and, and running around to, you know, 400 metre track or something. Um, so, no. That's what I'd do. Yeah, I think it's probably the... Uh, well, it's the cheaper option, definitely, bringing far back. Because, obviously, like you've already mentioned, he's our player. And um, it'd be nice to see. But, see, the thing is, I, I know people roll their eyes when you say... I'll bring a youngster back and give him a chance. But for me personally, why not? Why not give him a chance? We've got no strikers. We need somebody else besides BTA. I remember before DK got injured, it was very much DK starts, BTA comes on, or BTA comes uh, starts and DK comes on to give them something different to think about. Would Fall do that? Probably. You know, it, it, we've got to do something. And if there's no money available, then that's the, really the only option. I agree with you about Billy Sharp. I look at it and I think, no, for me personally, no. Um, I mean, the other thing as well is Billy Sharp. He's not the biggest guy in the world. It's not like he's a target man. You could say he'd occupy the same sort of role as, as BTA, you know, working hard, running around, trying to get a finish. But he's, he's a sniffer. Yeah, he's not a big, strong target man. He's not going to be, you know, your Jeff Horsfield or your Daryl DK sort of player. So I, I agree it's a non-starter, but I just think <laughs> until we get some investment in the club, we are going to struggle in January. Um, but yeah, I think besides that, I mean, I'd look at free transfers and there's nobody I'd really pick. You know, there's nobody out there, in my opinion, on a free who, one, would fit the criteria of what we need. And like you did point out with Billy Sharp, to be fit. Yeah, you know, we, if, if somebody, if you hire Cyrus one in January, who is, um, who is, you know, not been playing football for six months, say, you're going to spend at least a month or two getting him fit. I don't think that's a starter. Uh, you know, whereas Fal, he's going to come to us fit, as far as I'm aware, unless he's got a picked up an injury this weekend, um, and he'd come back to us if if we haven't once again done some absolutely fantastic trick and and said he, he, you know they've got him for the season and he can't come back in yeah. january or something which is which is a, a trick we've pulled in the past so um who knows what i do think is that now not billy sharp I, it's i can see why you'd raise the name because he has been a, a cracking striker over the years done a great job for for the blades to be fair and um, and and if he was absolutely sort of like in the middle of a season and he was playing in the championship and he became available for nothing. Depends on what he wants to be paid, of course. If it's any more than a bag of scratchings and a couple of shiny buttons, then probably not. Well, bag of scratchings, pound a bag. Or is it two pound a bag now? Two quid a bag now, I think. Inflation, mate. Inflation. <laughs> um, 
So the next thing I want to talk about is a few people mentioned on Have Your Say about the poor atmosphere at the Hawthorns. Uh, so I'll go firstly to Mark Wilkins on Facebook. Uh, his comment was, poor atmosphere at the Hawthorns despite, one, a good home record, two, punching above our weight with no investment, three, chalk and cheese compared to the away fans. It blows my mind the difference between the home and away and would love some thoughts around this. And then on Twitter, uh, Neil WBA said dwindling attendances to me it's time we should be busting a gut to get up the shrine and get behind the lads but there are swathes of empty seats and the atmosphere of and apathy of apathy there today was palpable i'm wondering what it will take to get all those seats sold for a game and it started quite a decent discussion on twitter so like i said at mikey wbfc if you want to head over and have a look uh nathan said a 3 p.m saturday kickoff would probably help to be fair we've gone three home games in a row without one and six games on the bounce in total i think uh steve buck said noon uh noon 12 noon kickoff on a sunday last week before christmas could have something to do with it perhaps uh david neal said they were sold appears it's season ticket holders not turning up and then finally dan said just before christmas cost of living crisis people are struggling more than ever if they want more bums on seats around Christmas, they need to recognise this and drop the prices for people. What would you what would you put that point towards um, for people? Maybe you know the dwindling attendances. For me personally, I think the uh, the football sort of Sky TV deal doesn't help. I think games constantly being moved. It is quite cold at the minute. It is a week before Christmas. You know, could these all be contributing factors to why people aren't coming to games? Well, of course, of course, they're all contributory factors. Um, I've talked about this before, to be honest with you. And and I, I, we are a crisis club, and we are not um, receiving any help from any set of circumstances in, in our situation. It's I th- and as a result of that, I'm not saying we should be. I'm not saying anybody should offer us. Uh, money or anything like that to uh, to get us out of a mess or to whatever. What I am saying is that this is the diet that's being fed to Al- Albion fans constantly. That one of um, impending doom, I think. Um, they, they, even even the uh, the takeover talk is inconclusive, and nothing nothing is clear cut. So the fans have got this constant diet of you know, impending disaster, probable impending disaster, um, and nobody is willing to sort of uh, clarify the issue because what you what you need to get fans on side is real hope, realistic hope that we can finish in the top six. I mean, you know, my prediction is mid table or slightly above mid table. Yeah. Um, because with I just. I just can't see how we're gonna we're gonna manage with all these injuries piling up to to be consistent throughout the season enough to finish in the top six. Um, but what you've got what you've got all the time is this, as I say, all of our fans, all of our fans must be feeling it. They must be thinking, you know, are we going to see it the blooming season? Are we gonna are we gonna survive January with the squad that we've got? Or are we going to be depleted because we've got to reduce the wage bill? Uh, is this takeover ever going to ever going to happen? Um, are our owners, the the current ones, ever going to sling the rook and get out of our club? 
Um, so I think, and I think psychologically, that's that affects us. You look, you look down the road at Villa. Well, I mean, look at them. What are they third in the Premier League? Yeah, and every, like that. yeah, and everything's rosy there. Um, and and what they've got is is really good attendances because their club is on the crest of a wave. It's doing well, uh, the, the, not just on the pitch, but the whole club is 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 enjoying uh, an atmosphere of well-being and um, and upness. But we aren't. The only thing that's giving us hope at the moment is the fact that we are really really beating the odds of being in the top six. Because um, we, you know, let's be honest, we were all thinking we were going to be fighting relegation this season, didn't we? Yeah. Um, well, the, I don't think we'd well, be fighting relegation. I think we would have been comfortably in mid-table. Well, OK. OK, I, I, I very often sort of get this wrong because actually it was probably the, the last season that we were worried about being relegated this season. This season probably hasn't, it hasn't cropped up so much in our uh, in our psyche. But uh, But I've got to be honest with you. We're over, we, we are overachieving, or we're achieving over what I expected at the moment. Um, but the way things have been going, injuries-wise, and uh, and the situations that we find ourselves in, I still think we'll finish. What is it? Somewhere between, I don't know, eighth uh, and tenth, or something like eighth and twelfth, or something like that. Rather, yeah, than yeah. In the playoffs, I think that's what I did at the start of the season, wasn't it? Yeah, I've said it not so long ago as well, but. Um, and I think that's that's got that's a con, a big contri, contributory factor to it. Um, I think twelve o'clock on a Sunday, just before Christmas, when when all everybody up there is under pressure to go Christmas shopping or to to be at functions or to be doing something other than being up the Albion ground on a at twelve o'clock on a Sunday, you know. Um, well, so and and I and I don't I don't want to jump up and down on our own fans. Because when I look back to when we'd got a, a team on the pitch that we really sort of like were, were doing something and we were successful, then nobody complains about the fans then. You, you know, there's all sorts of, of reasons for a, a slightly dodgy atmosphere. And I think at the moment is I think there's a climate of fear around Albion. And I think sometimes it doesn't take much for people who are worried and concerned uh, to uh, to not go because especially when they've got loads of other things that they've got to be doing and as you say when money's short so uh, oh no I ain't going to climb on the bandwagon yeah this the attendance was disappointing uh, um, against Stoke but no I, I, I ain't having it it's, it, to be honest with you I forgive them because they've got so much on the plate and the club is in such a precarious position. Um, it's difficult to see. It's difficult for me to justify getting on the case, really. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's a lot of factors going flying around right now um, that could be affecting why fans aren't there. I mean, the best way is if you want to let me know if you're a fan and you're a season ticket holder and you decided you haven't gone up recently, or if you go up regularly and you decided not to, let me know. If you want to email me at allthingsalbionpodcast at gmail dot com, let me know. And we'll read them out on the next podcast so let's look forward to our next game uh, we're playing Middlesbrough away on the 23rd of December at 3pm so Christmas Eve Eve they are uh, currently languishing around mid-table I mean they're only six points behind us so it's not like they are a million miles away but they're currently 13th um, 
had a bit of a rough start to the season. I like Michael Carrick. I think he's a decent manager. Obviously, they did quite well last year. They got knocked out, I think, in the semi-finals of the playoffs. So they're a decent side, no doubt about it. But I don't know. Would you take a draw if I offered it to you right now? No. Um, I, I want to. I want to beat Middlesbrough. What I want to do. What I want to do is go there and win. I want to. I want to send a message, if you like, to Middlesbrough's and and. I want. I want to. If we are going to get into the into the playoffs, the top six, obviously. Yeah, um, winning games. Nice. We've got to be winning games like this. A and B. We've got to be making those who are cemented in the top six and will be cemented in the top six already. Um, reason to fear us. You know what I mean. Uh, and if we are, if if we don't beat teams like Middlesbrough, um, then you know we're going to we're going to struggle to achieve that. So they don't. We want to. We want to create a climate of let's not. Let's not play the baggies. That's what we want, and um, and to do that we need to beat Middlesbrough. So I wouldn't take a draw. And I want to win. Yeah, I think. Yeah, like I just said, if, if we're going to be getting into the playoffs, we need to be beating teams like Middlesbrough. Um, but I think there's a lot of question marks at the moment, not only because of the schedule, um, but it's it's whether we could unlock the door of teams like we couldn't today. Middlesbrough are, are no mugs by any means, and uh, it'd be interesting to see how we get on against them. So it just leaves me to say thank you, everybody, very much for listening. If you want to follow me on uh, social media, you can. On Twitter, I am at MikeyWFC. And on Facebook, we are All Things Albion. If you search for us, you'll find us over there. And the best way to support the podcast is please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, whatever you're listening to our voice on right now. If you click subscribe or follow, it is really appreciated. But yeah, it just leaves me to say thank you, everybody, for listening. This is probably going to be our last podcast before Christmas. Um, we are in danger of being a weekly podcast again. because <laughs> We seem to be releasing episodes every week. We're going to keep that train rolling as long as we can um, indefinitely. We enjoy doing the podcasts, and if our schedules line up and we can do it, we will try and get a podcast out every week. But, yeah, this is probably going to be our last podcast before Christmas, so we'll have one probably just afterwards, Boxing Day or the day after, something around that time. So I hope everyone has a great Christmas with their families uh, and their friends and whoever they're spending it with have a great time. Fingers crossed we can get that win and we can all celebrate another three points at Christmas. Boing, boing. Boing, boing. And uh, let me echo what Moist just said, folks, uh, for everybody who's listening and uh, have a great Christmas. And, uh, enjoy yourselves nice and safely. Yeah? Take care.